Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Lots to talk, but how about canceling veteran mandatory minicamp? Okay, great. That's what the Eagles and Colts are doing. Take a little break. How about a real diva in football? We'll tell you who one former general manager says is one. But we'll begin with Julio Jones, a topic of conversation we've had a little times here on the GM Shuffle. But now we'll really dive in and explain it to you. So the Falcons have $412,000 in cap space. They are $6.7 million over in effective cap space. You've been saying for weeks now, Mike, listen, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Fine, if you believe Matt Ryan is still the quarterback for a couple more years, guy's 36 years of age. But with what you have in terms of cap hell and what you have in terms of assets, it makes sense to move on from Julio Jones. So we start to go into the different options. Let's kick it off first with San Francisco. $17.6 million in cap space. They had to consider extending Fred Warner, linebacker, and Nick Bosa. Now, you sign, obviously you've drafted Trey Lance. What do you think about making a move like Julio Jones and teaming him up with Trey Lance? We'll start with San Fran. I think San Francisco is the perfect, perfect place uh, for him because obviously Kyle Shanahan was with him. He knows Kyle Shanahan. He understands the offense. I think anytime a player uh, wants to get traded or a team's going to trade him, they always want to go to an offense that they don't have to relearn. So he could walk into San Francisco and know exactly what the offense is, how the offense is going to operate, what's going to happen, and it, he doesn't skip a beat. You know, And so to me, Kyle Shanahan would be like, hey, if I had Julio, this would mean this for our offense. This would mean that for our offense. This, we could do this with the offense. This is how we would change. And all those machinations of how it's going to work out because he knows what Julio can do better than anybody because he's coached them, it certainly puts them in, in the driver's seat. The problem is, because of Julio's contract, I mean, are you doing this? Are you going to do it on a on a two-year deal? Are you going to take the 15 and 11? So you basically have $26 million you know, that you owe him over the next two. Are you saying, look, we're going to invest two years in this player? Because that then lends you to think, okay, what are we doing with Bosa? What are we doing with Fred Warner? Like They're going to want to sign both those players. They can't franchise each, so they're going to want to sign both players. So before they do the Julio trade, they have to sit down with their cap spreadsheets and say, okay, here's if we bring Julio in and we don't touch his contract. We don't touch the $15 million this year. We just, let, we just let him count for 15 Or say we turn the $15 million into signing bonus and we lower his base salary over the next three years, that, that would be an option. So I think they play through all those before they say, okay, we're in this. All right, but you do like it uh, on a common sense level. How about the New England Patriots? Unconfirmed rumor floated around Tuesday. The Falcons turned down a deal on draft night. Would have sent Julio and the fourth overall pick to the Patriots. Common thought is, hey, a legit number one like Julio Jones, that's going to help the transition to Mac Jones. Number four spot, though, that's interesting. Top three quarterbacks were taken at that point. Were they maybe targeting fields? Is that another thought process there? Patriots and Julio, would that fit for Belichick and particularly Mac Jones? All right, so let's just break that rumor down, right? Okay, so the, 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 what were the Patriots coming up to four to get? Justin Fields is the rumor, yeah. They were never trading for Fields. Like, that was ridiculous. They never wanted Fields. Fields was the greatest smokescreen in America. I mean, literally, other than, other than when they made Patton 
put a bunch of tanks in Holland so that the Germans thought that we were he was leading it, that the Justin Fields smokescreen was the greatest smokescreen of all. They were never interested in Justin Fields. It's a complete joke. They were never coming up to four. If they were coming up to four, just let's walk through this, A.D. Let's walk through a bad rumor. Yep. If you were coming up to four, we know Carolina was willing to sell eight. Carolina would have traded out of eight and a million. They were the Maytag repairman. The phone wasn't ringing. <laughs> it never rang for them. So if you were going to go to four, wouldn't you want to go to eight? Theoretically. Like, wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted fields so bad, like stop the nonsense. Like, you know, like that, that's not true. It's not true. They, they didn't even, they thought they didn't even move from 15 a little bit to get Mac Jones. I mean, literally, I mean, this is why he's the greatest and most patient human being of all time. I've often said this about Belichick. If he was in the home building business, he'd build one house a year. I mean, it'd be the greatest house you ever saw, but it'd be one house. Like he's methodical. He's tactical. Like if I would have been in that draft, I'm saying, Bill, don't you think we ought to trade up to 12 to make sure we get this guy? You know, and he just played his cards. He played his cards, and that's why he's so good. You know, and why would he go up to four? If he was set, hell-bent set on four, he would have gotten to eight. It's just a bad rumor. I mean, it's just a hard rumor. Now, the Julio Jones rumor, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. You know, I think what, again, I think what the Patriots would have to look at on Julio is can they actually keep Julio on the team for three for two years because nothing they do in New England there's nothing they do in New England that is not about sustainable values so what they're always asking the question is if we bring this guy in can we cap him for two years now they've made a lot of mistakes in this area I mean the Muhammad Sanu last year two years ago they brought him in they gave up a third round pick for him and he lasted barely a year so I'm not saying it's perfect because it never nothing's ever perfect. But the reality here is I truly believe that they would have to look at their cap. They know they're going to be tight on their cap next year based on what they did this year. But adding a player like like this guy could certainly help them. I mean, that would certainly give their offense that one guy that they need that would make everybody else better. And then then they could go off to the races. So, you know, with you had, you know, that makes, it would make Aguilar better. It would make Bourne better. I see them being in this. I really do. Yeah. And I'm with you to your point. I just think it would immeasurably make New England better. I mean, I think Julio Jones is still capable of being a very effective wide receiver. I don't think he is who he was a couple of years ago. That's fine. Obviously the guy's uh, 36 years of age now, but I think that he's still not at 36, but my point is he's still really good and he could be a significant upgrade for the Patriots. I told you before, I don't like the Aguilar signing. I'm not crazy about him. So to me, the Patriots get Jones, and I hear you about sustainability, but to me, that's a significant upgrade. So if we, we can douse the rumors, Mike, what happened on draft day, but if the Pats get Julio Jones, considering they spent $160 million in cap space, I think that would be a sizable imprint for their offense. I really do. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think, to me, I, I doubt the rumor of going up to four. I don't doubt the rumor of their interest in Julio Jones. That's that's how I would capsulate that. There's sure. no doubt. I, I don't doubt their I, I think that that's truly the case. Now, this one, I don't really get. I kind of get it, but I don't really get it. Here's what I do get. L.A. Rams and Raheem Morris, the Rams D.C., was Atlanta's wide receiver coach from 2016 to 2019 and their D.C. in 2020. Okay, so Raheem Morris knows Julio Jones. I got that. But the Rams are already paying Robert Woods and Cooper Cup over $15 million per year. You ask most learned football people, they'd say, yeah, Woods and Cup are good. They're very good. They're excellent. That's a great wide receiver tandem. So 
I know Matthew Stafford's there and McVay loves weapons. He's like, you know, likes amassing different toys and see what else he can do. But I, I don't really get Julio Jones reuniting with Raheem Morris. Explain to me how this one works. Well, I mean, you just explained it to yourself. I mean, McVay loves weapons. I mean, he can't get enough. He's like me at the buffet line. I mean, he just keeps loading his plate up. I mean, he can't help himself, you know, and they've been able to skirt through. They don't care about the cap. They just are going to buy their way out of any cap issue that they have to deal with. So, you know, right now they have $7 million of cap room. I mean, the one thing about the Julio contract, when you look at it, right? So Julio has, he's got 11, 15 million this year. He's got 11 next year and he's got 11 the year after that. Okay. So if, if you're the new team that talk that, that trades for him, you're on the hook for basically $37 million. Okay. So what you could do with that 37 million is you could spread it out. You could guarantee 20 million of it make a five-year contract, and you could essentially lower his cap number significantly without, and then guaranteeing him, he was not guaranteed to get the 11 in 2023. I don't think he's guaranteed to get the, the, the 11, five in 2022. So you could give him a lot more guarantee than you would have to. And then he could sort of, and lower his cap numbers for two or three years. And that's how the Rams would do it. I would never underestimate the Rams ability to basically just to play the wimpy game the entire, they'll gladly play you Tuesday for a hamburger today. I mean, that's who the Rams are. I mean, they are wimpy. They'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> if they can win right now, that's always the goal for them. There's no way they're trying to build for the future. Again, you look at Julio Jones and what he's capable of doing. This guy had six straight Pro Bowl seasons, five first or second team All-Pro selections. A couple of quick ones I'll just throw out there. What about the Packers as a destination? I saw a couple of writers throwing that out there. Maybe this is a reason why Aaron Rodgers would be enticed to stay there. Could you see Jones the Packers? Yeah, I would think the Packers would want to do that badly. I would think the Packers would would try to do that as much as anybody. And but you know, I mean, the Packers are, are have two point three million of cap room. I mean, they are tight on the cap. Now they could restructure Rodgers lower his cap number, put his number off, and then they could do it. But I could definitely see that. I could definitely say, hey, look, Aaron, we're going to go get Julio Jones. Would that make you happier? Right. I definitely think they would have to be in play for that. Because if they had Julio Jones with Devontae Adams, I mean, it would be just tremendous. And I think you're right. If you're trying to entice Aaron Rodgers to play, here's a big shiny new toy. Maybe that's another reason to stay in Green Bay. All right, coming up next, just how much has the game changed? XGM's calling current players divas. Current players fighting back on off-season workouts. We'll try and make sense of it next on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus 
for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Well, how much has the game changed? Former Packers GM Ron Wolf, who is clearly a guy who had an incredible resume, GM of the Packers from 1991 to 2000, won three Super Bowls, inducted into the Hall of Fame, credited with the franchise turnaround when he brought Brett Favre to the team in 1992. Well, here's these quotes about the Aaron Rodgers situation according to the Big Show Network. We have a lot of divas playing in the league right now. I fail to understand that all these guys have long-term deals. I can't believe the game has changed that remarkably. Today's quarterbacks want to be more than quarterbacks. They're hired to play the position. That's what they're being paid for. These guys, they want to pick the coach, pick the players. Is this a get-off-my-lawn, Clint Eastwood, Gran Torino, old man rant? Or do you think Ron Wolf knows what he's talking about and there's some merit to how he's criticizing Aaron Rodgers and others? Well, I think, you know, I think there's, I was talking to Roger Martin. Roger Martin is this incredible uh, business writer. He wrote The Opposable Mind. Uh, He writes incredible pieces every week for medium uh and he's really he he's a 60s middle-aged man 60 some and but he was basically asking me questions about an article he was going to write about uh, about how the today's athlete you have to modernize yourself to today's athlete they don't see things the way ron wolf saw them and what Ron's doing is exactly what one of the things is if you're not adaptive to the changing of the people that you're dealing with. Look, I, I, I don't disagree with where Ron's coming from. Certainly, uh, you know, it has merit. I respect the shit out of Ron Wolf. However, I think today in dealing with the, the, the generation that we're dealing with, I think that there's no doubt that we have created a diva culture. And we have created this culture based on the willingness to to give in to the players. And what's good for the players maybe is good for the owners. I mean, the owners cut the players when they when they don't maximize the deal. So the players want to be able to reward themselves when they over maximize the deal. So and Martin was basically saying that, you know, when in, in the conversation is, you know, you have to uh understand where the you know, where the motive operandi is, is where is it's coming from? And every player's different. And I think that that's really the challenge that you get into when you're dealing with today's athletes. I mean, that's the hardest part about the game. I mean, you know, when you get into the football, Al Davis started when he was in his 20s. And by the time he was done his career, he's in his 80s. And so, you know, he caught got caught up in this as well as anybody because in the 60s, when the drug culture started to happen, he felt like he could control it. And he could, but then the 80s drug culture came around and he couldn't control it. And so it just becomes the ebb and flow of the generational shifts that and pools of the people that we're dealing with. And if you're not in tune to that, then you're going to make a lot of mistakes. So, you know, you could call him a diva. You could say he's, he's wrong. 
you know, part of me from a generation ago says that's right. But today, if you're dealing with that mentality, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to lose players. Yeah. My thing is if you come into the league and you're already barking about what personnel you want around you, what coach you want to have, what kind of plays you want to run, then to me, that's being a diva. Like just because you're a high draft pick, all of a sudden you're assuming because you have this mantle of responsibility, you already have equity. Everyone should already listen to you. But I believe if you are a star in the league, if you built up a considerable resume and you're now saying, no, I want to have input on the creative and controlling process, I have no issue with that. It's the same thing with movies, right? Think of an actor who first comes into Hollywood. Hey, first couple roles, man, whatever you say, whatever the director says, I'll follow your lead, we're good. But then what happens once an actor has success, wins an Oscar, a couple big movies, they get a production company. And in their production company, they say, okay, here's some films that I want to work on. I'm going to executive produce this. I want to have my hand in this. I want to be part of the casting process. So if Ron Wolf is like, I think he says a little bit like a grumpy old man here, like bitching about guys being divas. Like, okay, fine, some guys are, but specific to Rodgers, like I think, no. I think if I'm a star, as we've said before, Mike, look how much money that guy has made for the Green Bay Packers, how much he's done for the league themselves. I think if you've got your stripes, so to speak, I got no issue if you want to be complaining and upset because you took it because you proved already for five, 10 years that you're a star and you're worthy of being treated a certain way. That's my take. I think your take is absolutely right. I think and that's Roger Martin's take as well. I mean, at some point, you've got to be adaptable to the circumstances and the environment. We are in the entertainment industry. You know, you can call it football, but the idea that, you know, look, what's blocking and tackling and all that, I get all that, right? I get all that. You need all that. But you also need to be able to handle the the personalities within the locker room. And if you're not adaptable to those personalities, you know, then it becomes very challenging. And it's why coaches, as they get older, you know, and they start to lose touch with the players. I mean, it happens to Tom. Look, look about Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you know, when he was in New England at 40 years old, he could have been a father to some of those kids. He didn't he didn't have any ability to really relate to some of those guys. So when he had a change of scenery, it became different and he could kind of relate to the new group of people because he was coming in. I think it's a little it's the same thing. I mean, not and this is different. It's about money, but I think that Ron is it's just hard. And as you get older and you're not willing to be adaptable, I think you have to have core principles. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But I do think you've got to be somewhat adaptable with a player. Now, you can't let them run the team. You can't let them run the team. You've got to listen to them. I think they want to be heard. I think that's the most important thing. they got to be heard. Yeah, you can't have that like Tom Coughlin dictatorial approach with a star player after 10 years and be like, hey, if you're five minutes early, you're late. Like that kind of crap just ain't going to fly in today's game. And to your point about the blocking, that was Wolf's quote. He said, uh, this is how much the game has changed. It was a game of blocking, tackling, and kicking. Now they can't even practice blocking or tackling. Guys don't want to practice. They don't want to try and get better. This is in reference to the fact the Eagles and the Colts canceled veteran mandatory minicamp. Eagles began phase two on Tuesday, focused on training, teaching, and physical conditioning. This week will include meetings on field sessions, focusing on fundamentals, schemes, and strength and conditioning. The following two weeks on field drills, but no 11 on 11 or seven on seven work. This comes after the players union has sought to negotiate more favorable off season terms for players NFLPA told ESPN 15 teams have implemented changes. You know, Rams not having traditional OTAs. The Chiefs shrunk their phase two offseason to one week. Chargers not doing any on-field work other than walkthroughs. This is the big one, Mike. Dolphins have told their players they'll have sandals only on-field work to guarantee a walkthrough pace. They're making sure, hey, all right, fellas, we're not going to exert you if that's what you don't want. 
Yeah. Well, look, I think I think I think the number one problem is let, let's work backwards here. The number one problem that most of these coaches are facing in the offseason is the players are really out of shape. All the draft choices are out of shape. I mean, none of them are in good shape. Typically, you know, most of these guys would go get ready. They their their agents would pay for them to go to some training camp get ready to run the 40, get ready to do the combine. Then after that, they'd have constant workouts on campus, you know, two, three times at least. They're staying in some kind of shape. So this was, hey, I work out once and nobody else can work me out. And so the conditioning is going to take some time to get them ready. And I think what what really is trying to happen here is, and this is what Wolf was talking about, is if we don't get back to some fundamentals and techniques, at least do it in the spring, then the game suffers. Pad level gets higher. You're not able to work on those things. This is what makes football so unique is you can play third base for the Mets and you can play third base for the Yankees. But you can't do that. You can't play for the Giants and play for the Jets in the same day. The fundamentals that they teach in the Jets offense to the Giants offense is different. And if you don't spend time honing those techniques and fundamentals, it becomes really hard. But the number one thing you've got to do is before you can get a player better in any area, you got to you got to be willing to get in shape. And I think that's what they've got to do. Now, you know, for a guy like Nick Sirianni, he's starting this program He's got to be able to set the course for the direction of the team, right? So he's got to be able to say, oh, this is what I want. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. He's got to kind of lay the groundwork, lay the culture within the team. That's the challenge. I mean, Frank Wright and Indy, they're different situations. I mean, Reich's already knows it. So I think these are two different things. It's same thing with the Chiefs or the Rams, you know. But I do think that we, as a coaching staff, abuse the OTA days. We abuse the on-the-field training because the coaches just wanted to coach. All they kept wanting to do is, let's go to team meet. Let's go to team. Let's go to team. Walsh used to say this all the time. Like, like there's no – we can't rush to go to team. I mean, Belichick, his rookie camp had like no, – no, no, it wasn't a full team. They were just teaching fundamentals. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah, I think what happens is maybe stories come out about certain guys get pushed too hard, you know, like heat waves and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, it casts this negative light. And you say, you know what? We can't push these guys too hard. The NFL season is hard enough as it is. And maybe there's a push to try to be a little bit more equitable. At the same time, that's unfair to teams and coaches who do have an appropriate uh, program in the offseason. NFLPA President Brown Center, Jay-Z Treader. The offseason program has gotten out of hand. OTAs have been ratcheted up year after year. They've turned into legitimate, full-contact, non-padded practices. Nobody puts any restraints on them. They let guys go at it. I shouldn't in May be taking on bull rushes with no shoulder pads. Michael Thomas, NFLPA Executive Board Member for Agent Safety. If it's truly voluntary, this is what it needs to look like in order for us to show up. We just want a better process for our men so they can be healthy and extend their careers. That's always interesting to me, Mike, when someone says there's a voluntary meeting. You know, I would always be like, no, no, that, that's mandatory. Like, they might say it's voluntary, but you'd better be there, especially if you're a guy who's only been in the league a few years. Like, bro, you're not good enough to already dictate what's voluntary and what isn't. How, how are you, whenever someone said voluntary, did you take it as, no, this is actually mandatory? Well, yeah, I mean, here, here's the real problem. Jawan James. Okay, he gets cut by the Broncos. So Jawan James, because he doesn't come to the Broncos camp, he doesn't come to the Broncos camp. He's training on his own. All right. This is the danger of the rules. And this is why the NFLPA kind of, it, 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 they, they, they talk out of both sides of the mouth. So Jawan James is working out on his own. He tears his Achilles tendon. Okay. He tears his Achilles on May 4th in an offsite workout. Because that workout wasn't on the Broncos campus, 
and it didn't occur under the Broncos' watch, then that work, that injury becomes a non-football-related injury. NFI. Now, this is collectively bargained, so this isn't just the Broncos being assholes. This is collectively bargained by the union and the owners. If you sustain an injury called NFI in a place that was not authorized by the team, the team has no obligation to pay you. They can pay you your full salary or they can pay you nothing. They can put you on, they can continue to hold your rights, okay? They can hold your rights and say, we're going to pay you $10,000 or we'll pay $100,000 or we'll pay you the full salary. It's all up to the team. But because the union was encouraging players to not show up, this $10 million that Jawan James has legitimately lost, it's gone. It's never coming back. Because had he worked out inside inside the Broncos building, the Broncos would have been on the hook for $10 million. So where are we going with that? Like, I agree with what J.C. Treader's saying. I agree. It's gone way too far. He shouldn't have to handle bull rushes in May with no pads on. There's no doubt. But there also should be a protection for the poor player who does it, who, who works out. Like if you're going to work out in your own gym, then you run the risk of not being paid that year. And that's not smart. Yeah, that situation for Juwan James, definitely a cautionary tale. You tear your Achilles on May 4th. That was a massive four-year, $51 million deal before the 2019 season. Only he's played three games since then. You can understand why you need to have that protection in place. Broncos make a historic front office hire. Could have a major impact on the team. Could we see more hires like this across the league? We'll dive into that next right here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New Customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Broncos hiring Kelly Klein. Who's Kelly Klein? We'll tell you. 30-year-old Kelly Klein hired as the Executive Director of Football Operations and Special Advisor to the GM, George Payton. She's believed to be the highest-ranking female scouting executive ever with an NFL team. 
She'll be the primary liaison for the team's football operations, oversee various areas of the pro and college scouting departments, including player evaluation and preparation for the draft and free agency. We'll also oversee the video and equipment departments. In terms of her resume, Mike, she spent 10 seasons in Minnesota, mostly recently serving as a manager of player personnel, public relations intern, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, we talk a lot about groundbreaking moves, whether it's uh, you know race or gender, this feels like a big-time move here. This isn't one of those token hires. This is, no, no, we're putting a female here in charge of a very important spot, and she's young. She's 30 years of age, executive director of football operations. What exactly does that position mean? How huge is that for a team? You know, I don't know. I mean, these titles, you never really know. But I think, to me, the most important thing is if Kelly Klein has been trained. You know, like it, it really, I don't think this is a gender issue. I think this is a, an issue of training. And so... To say a woman can't do this or a woman can't do that is ridiculous. Like it all goes back to the training. And if she was in there where you're talking about how to evaluate, understanding schemes, and where I think women have a significant advantage over men's scouts is they have a better intuition in terms of character. They do, they just do. And that's the hardest thing to judge when it comes to player personnel is the character of the person. You know, and so I think that, you know, the role that she'll play can be significant. And I and I what I like about it is that I think that whoever is in charge of the college scouting department, that there has to be a complete objectivity. See, the one of the one of the biases that enters into the draft room is is the bias of what I believe. You know, it's the competitive bias. Well, I'm the director of college scouting and I set the board. Well, how can you be biased if you've scouted all the players too? Like, seriously, how are you going to be biased? One of the things I did when I was in Cleveland is I tried to hire, we did hire, I got fired before he came in. I hired Brian Decker. Brian Decker was a, uh, a military, was worked in the, in the army. He was in charge of selecting the, and the, Seth Wickersham wrote a great piece about him in, in ESPN, the magazine. Uh, he was in charge of selecting the army rangers down at Fort Bragg. And his whole process was trying to analyze character, trying to analyze the qualities that were needed for the Army Ranger School, which is essentially the Army's version of the Navy SEALs. So we brought Brian in, and I was wanted to make Brian the director of college scouting. And you say, well, Brian didn't know anything about football. That's right. I didn't want Brian to know anything about football. I wanted Brian to know about people. I wanted Brian to listen to a lot of opinions, grade the player's character, and then arbitrarily set the board based on what the information he was hearing, not injecting his opinion into the into the situation. And I think that that's where there's a huge place for, for women to enter into the sports world in terms of understanding it, listening to it, coaching it. It, it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be just for men only because women have a great instinct. And I think this job for her has a great expandive role and she could do a lot of things and Peyton knows her. So it's, it's kind of good for the sport and it helps, and it helps understand, you know, what you added, what she can add to the flavor of the department. And I think that's really something we all have to look at. And I think it can, it can work. But once again, to me, it's about training. It's really about training. Like who trains the scouts? Who has trained the scouts? Who's trained her? That's the key question. If you got somebody who can train scouts and develop talent within the scouting department, you have a huge advantage. So the training is really important. What's also important is the kind of experience to have in this position. If I tell you, all right, she was a scouting coordinator for a few years, was a scouting assistant, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
Is that enough training to be in this position? Or is it a matter of, fine, she appears to have a general basis of understanding. Now it's about someone training her and taking her to the next level. You know, every time you get promoted for a job, it's like when you buy a house. The first house you ever bought, AD, right? Did you think you could afford it? No, of no, course you did. No way. You're like, how am I ever going to pay for this, right? Right, right? What's the same? Every job you get, you say to yourself, I can't, I, I, am I ready for this job? Of course you're not ready for the job. You got to learn on the job as you're going. You know, there's two kinds of jobs in the world, jobs you can make a difference in and jobs you can grow from. If you said to me, where, Lombardi, where did you fuck up your career the most? I would say where I screwed up my career the most was I was in jobs I could only grow from and I tried to make a difference. And when you do that, you piss people off. Right, you you create, you know, you're trying to make a difference. You're stepping on somebody's toes. You're trying to get people. And if I just would have stayed back and said, "Okay, I'm only going to grow from this job. You guys do what you want. Fine, even if it's wrong. Fine, you know." then you're better off. And I think that that's where she's in position. She's in a position where she can grow from the role she's in. And eventually she'll make a difference. One can only hope and hopefully the others follow suit. And I think it's always important too, when you're something of a trailblazer, hopefully there's not too much focus on her. Meaning if Kelly Klein has a couple of missteps, hopefully that does not have someone else go, well, we wanted to hire a female in this position, but because it didn't work out there, we're not going to do that. And hopefully it just goes, each person's judged on their own merit. She's successful. And regardless of being a female, if she brings success to the, obviously Denver Broncos and George Payton likes her, that's the most important thing. Before we close up shop, Mike Rombardi is finally on vacation. So if you're wondering to yourself, uh, Mike doesn't seem like a guy who vacations much. Well, he's always working. That is true. Cranking out information for The Athletic, for VEASAN, here for the GM Shuffle. And, but if I thought you were on vacation, I would have hoped you'd be like Sinatra, Palm Springs. Instead, I'm disappointed on that level. You're in Sarasota, Florida, but you are tweeting out pictures. I saw you put an Instagram there, the beach. You're living the life right now, my friend. It's really good. Millie and I got away. It's kind of nice to... Uh to get away. I mean, it's the first time I haven't slept in my own bed since February of 2020. I mean, I had to get away. I mean, I miss Bella, but what the hell I had to get to get away. It's good. You know, I'm not a, if Florida, this area of Sarasota is beautiful. And as Parcells would often say, when you see something like that, it'd take a lot of this to kill you. It would take a lot of this to kill you. There's no doubt. It would take a lot of this to kill you. But, you know, it's good to get caught up on some books. I got Malcolm Gladwell's new book, new book to read. And, uh, you know, I've got to, have you been, have you watched the Underground Railroad on Amazon? No, I heard about it. I love Barry Jenkins. He's the great director. I interviewed him years ago on Cinephile before Moonlight came out, which won Best Picture, beat La La Land. Of course, he made it Beale Street Could Talk. I was reading about it in uh, The Hollywood Reporter, 10-part series on Amazon. Or excuse me, is it on, yeah, Amazon, whatever the hell it is. I don't know. What, what streaming service is it on? I don't remember now. Amazon Prime, yes. But I heard it's fantastic. That's 10 hours. But I heard that don't binge watch it. Watch it one step at a time. But apparently it's remarkable because it's, Literally, you're looking at obviously a despicable time in American history in terms of slavery and all the rest of it, but he does it in a certain way that there's a real beauty and a majesty and a nobility of the characters and what they're overcoming. Did you see any of it yet? I've watched the three episodes. It's really incredible. It's it's really a uh, a well done piece. Colson Whitehead, the writer, is just remarkable. I'm reading Nickel Boys now on vacation. And, you know, the Underground Railroad is something I think we all should watch and understand the plight of what actually happened during the Civil War. You get an up-close experience. I mean, you hear the word slavery, you hear the word plantation, you hear all that. But till you see the behavior, the outrandish, the ridiculous, the disgusting behavior of these people, you really don't have an intimate portrait into into the plight of an African-American male, female. So, 
Yeah, I think it's outstanding. So I've been reading that, but he's such a great writer. I mean, the detail in his writing is remarkable. So that's the one good thing about going on vacation, AD. You get, to, you get more time to read, and you get more time to get fatter, which is something I'm working on right now. <laughs> you can totally decompress, which is an important thing. Well, um, enjoy the reading, enjoy the sunshine, and we will crank up plenty more here on the GM Shop. As always, you can support us on Twitter and Instagram, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan S. Ferk, at the GM Shuffle. Hit us up on the mailbag, and hopefully we will talk to all of you very soon.